Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I'm a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you are once again joining me on AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. If you're joining us for the first time, please check out season one with featured artists such as friend of the pod and producer of Empire Music Fest, Carrie Blue. Stay tuned for info regarding Empire State Music Festival tickets. If you're an old-time listener, welcome back. Excited to introduce you to Season 2, Episode 6, and continuing our journey into 2022. Give us a follow at AP Studio BK on Instagram and TikTok for more updates. Today, we welcome Bella Rocha into the studio. Born in Maine and a dual citizen of the U.S. and Brazil, Bella was attracted to musical theater from a young age. Her focus became more primarily voice in high school in Massachusetts, where she attended Walnut Hill School of the Arts. Since moving to New York for college in 2014, she started writing under the name Twin Village and recorded an EP at DeGraw Studios. Bella planned about the perfect 2020 and spent most of it walking the entirety of the Appalachian Trail. She then returned to Maine where she was invited to play the Rockland CMCA and has just recently moved back to Brooklyn. An old apartment party alum, we are so happy to have her back in our creative community. All right, so welcome into the studio today, Bella. I'm so happy to have you here. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It has been almost two, well, I saw you a little bit last summer. Yeah. But you're like back now. I I just moved back around a month ago. I came to New York eight times in the past year to visit. So I was like, I think maybe. (laughs) I think maybe I'm missing this. (laughs) I was like, maybe I should just move back. So I just gave you a little intro, but um, would you tell the audience a little bit of like an intro, a little bit in your own words? Yeah. Well, I grew up in Maine and uh, both of my parents are artists. So I was kind of always around that type of environment growing up. And I kind of got into singing like in the fourth grade, but I didn't do anything super serious, like take voice lessons until I was in high school. Or I think maybe right before high school, like late middle school. And that's kind of when I was like, I want to take this a little bit more seriously or like take myself a little bit more seriously. I feel like that's such a good age for it too. Cause like you probably hit it at a really good point right before your voice was going to change and everything. Cause I remember like the first time we had been friends and coworkers for a while, but like the first time I heard you sing, I was like, holy fuck, there's an angel in my apartment. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Right I here. also ripped my jeans. <laughs> yeah. Dancing on your floor. Yes. Oh my gosh. All the way straight down the back. Yeah. What kind of artists are your parents? So my mom's kind of like a visual, these days more like performance artist. Whoa. And then my dad is a mime. And what? Wait. (laughs) How did they meet? How did they end up in Maine? My mom is from Maine, born and raised. And she's lived like other, she's had stints other places, but she's always like really been like a Maine girl. Mm-hmm. And so she was living in Maine and she was taking dance classes at, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like Portland Movers something. Sounds very like, Portland And so Maine. my dad was also there taking dance classes. So they met 
getting first, his mime on. Yeah, they met <laughs> at first in dance class. And then I think there was like another situation where like they had a mutual friend. Somebody asked her to drop something off at oh. his apartment or something. But he was in Maine. He had gotten, I can't remember the name of the grant, but he'd gotten a grant to come study at this place called the Celebration Barn. Okay. With a mime who's since passed, but his name was Tony Montanaro. And he was pretty like well known in the... Old mime legend. Like, yeah, old mime legend. <laughs> basically, it was like that or he could go to France and study with Marcel Mar- so what so it was like he was the other option and I think it was like something didn't work out for him to go to France so he was like okay this seems like legit I'm gonna go and so he I, I think he was like 22 he came to Maine on a scholarship to study with him and then he also ended up going to a university in Maine as well that is so random I feel like the mime community must be pretty small it is, yeah. yeah like so, like, he's it. been, like, working with the same people, like, since I was a kid. So That's everybody awesome. who he works with, like still remembers me from when I was like three years old oh that's so special to like have and grow up in that sort of creative community yeah it was really cool and like before I was in school in a way that like I had to be in school all the time Mm -hmm. like I feel like once I got to middle school you know they get a little bit less lenient about your parents taking you out of school but like my dad would take me out of school all the time and I would like go on trips with him and stuff Ah, like mime event trips so technically, I think a lot of them go by the term storytelling festival. Okay. And that's kind of like the title that my dad goes by as well. He goes by storyteller. Okay. And so he's studied mime and he like uses a lot of mime in his work. But like most of his pieces involve like speaking with his voice, telling stories with his voice. And then he also uses mime to like become the characters that he's talking about or to tell the story in like a more physical way but there's only like a handful of pieces that he does that don't include any speaking like what you would consider like traditional mime. traditional mime but he doesn't he did when he was younger like the white face striped shirt mm-hmm. like thing he doesn't do that anymore are these stories of like his own invention or are they retelling of like some of them stories yeah, yeah some of them he's completely made up some of them he's adapted from like Brazilian folk tales Mm -hmm. and then he also my dad's father is African so he does African folk tales as well oh wow okay that's awesome I would love to like see something of that I'm very excited to like do some research about that he's very online okay amazing (laughs) you'll have to give me his links according to the world mime organization miming has existed as long as humans have They cite the long traditions of miming and mimicry in African and Australian Aboriginal tribes. The ancient Greeks, Romans, Chinese, and Indians all had miming traditions. In India, miming predated drama. Hinduism teaches that dance, drama, or natya was created by the god Brahma as an art that the ordinary man could appreciate. China is considered to have the oldest miming history. Writings from the 100s BCE talk about a mime called Meng who was admired by a minister of the king. Chinese miming developed into a tradition encapsulating all theatrical arts by the Middle Ages. The Pyrrhic dances of Greek warriors were mimed fighting techniques. The legendary Roman Luius Andronicus lost his voice and sparked the popularity of the completely silent mime. After Andronicus, it became too popular, more vulgar, and started to be considered of the lowest public taste. 
In the 12th century, it became a feature of the mystery, miracle, and morality plays of Europe and Japanese no-dramas. Commedia dell'arte was developed in the 17th century, which the modern ideas of mimes and clowns grew out of. Some of these miming traditions incorporated a narrator or written words on placards. Storytelling, however, is an oral tradition that often incorporates gesture and interaction with audiences similar to miming. Storytelling festivals have been happening in the U.S. since the 1970s. Performers travel from around the world to different festivals where myths, folk tales, comedies, and original stories are performed. So you're growing up, you're getting out of school for some of these. And I do, I think that that's so valuable. And I feel like a lot of kids like miss out on that a little bit. And like being friends with your parents' friends and like Mm -hmm. knowing your parents' friends and having this community. I was reading something recently and it was talking about how parents like shouldn't have to be everything for their kids. And it should be more of like a quote unquote, like community child raising that's so exciting Mm -hmm. yeah I think my parents definitely had that kind of environment for me Mm -hmm. my parents ended up getting a divorce when I was four and so they were both still like in their young 30s right and like fully rightfully so wanted to like live their lives Mm -hmm. and so I instead of like leaving me with a sitter a lot of the time they would just like bring me with them to do the stuff that they wanted to do so I ended up going to like a lot of parties with my dad and like a lot of art gallery openings and like events with my mom and like nine times out of ten I was like the youngest person there but I've always been like very social so I'd be like making conversation with like people who are my parents' age, like, walking around, like, different places, just, like, I don't know, kind of trying to, like, make my own fun when I was, like, at something that my parents wanted to be at. And also, like, it sounds like you were allowed a lot of independence. Yeah. That's so cool. So you're you're growing up, you're doing that, and what's your connection to Brazil? Because I know you said you go back to Brazil pretty often. So I haven't been since I was 21, so I think my sophomore year of college, mm-hmm. but my dad is from originally from Rio, or just outside, and then his mother lived in Natal for quite a while. I'd say like more than 20 years after living there, I think after my dad's father passed away okay so I had two aunts and uncles my dad has all sisters he's like the youngest of five oh, little prince yeah exactly <laughs> he's junior oh so, yeah. yeah oh yeah and so um <laughs> our, boy. yeah so like in Portuguese it's junior oh okay and so yeah he's the little brother and he has four older sisters who are all like wonderful and very sweet and um two of them were living in Natal when we would go visit for the most part. And then my grandmother was living there also. We would just go to visit the family and like mostly to see my dad's mother. And she passed in 2017. So Mm. I haven't been back since after that. But I feel like it's hard kind of when you have those matriarchs in families, Mm -hmm. um, kind of finding like what the next evolution for your family is like. And I know you were kind of saying before we were recording that your family's kind of now all over the place. Yeah. So a lot of my cousins who are much older than me because of my dad's age difference with his sisters are like one of my cousins lives in Jackson Hole. One of my cousins lives in Montreal. Oh, wow. Another one of my cousins was living in San Francisco for a while. So everyone's really kind of like all over the place. And then this was actually very sweet. One of my aunts 
was living in Fort Worth with her. Shout um, out. Yeah, (laughs) with her daughter and her daughters. I don't know if they were engaged or married at the time, Mm -hmm. but when I was in Dallas randomly at the end of 2020, like they were there. So I got to see them for the first time in six years, which is really sweet. And And during 2020 too. Yeah, it was so random. (laughs) Like it was so random to see them and like be able to be with this family that I is usually like, you know, in another country. And it was also, you know, alien for me too, because I've never been to Texas. Yeah. So I was like, okay, these people haven't seen since like, I don't know when are just like (laughs) picking me up in like a random car on a random street. I've never been to in a city (laughs) I've never been to, but it's like my family. So it was, it was an interesting experience. That's awesome. Went to Chipotle. (laughs) (laughs) The great equalizer. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So then you were kind of saying that like earlier on, obviously you have all these creative influences from your parents, from their friends, from their community. When did you sort of start to develop your own like creative inclinations or thus therefore? So I don't really have like clear memories of this, but my mm-hmm. mom said that I was like very much writing songs, like even when I was a kid, but like silly oh my God, ones. I would, I would pay money. Yeah. Like <laughs> she has one that she repeats to me that I honestly can't even remember, but it was about some guy she was dating. And oh like, my it was like, it was like me saying nice things about him or something. Oh, see, like, that's sweet. I would have uh, been like, you motherfucker. Well, it, was, it was like how our lives were going to be good because like <laughs> my mom was dating a rich guy, <laughs> you know, like that type of vibe. Hey. <laughs> so, um, I think I've always kind of had like a creative inclination. Mm-hmm. And then I think after I'd say like fifth or sixth grade, I kind of just like really leaned into like focusing on singing and like doing something in the arts. Because I find you to be so compelling as a performer. And what are some of your first memories like of performance? My first memories are like from when I was really young, like when Mm -hmm. I would be in like plays and stuff. Yeah. So I have like some memories here and there from stuff like that. But like my first real memory of like a concert I did, I think must have been like my freshman year of high school. I did a like fundraiser concert, oh, which was like, what was it for? Oh, so I could go to boarding school. <laughs> You're like fundraiser, fundraiser for, for me. me. Yeah. Fundraiser for me. Go fund me before go fund Literally, me. Literally. <laughs> and I was like, please help us. <laughs> but it, we didn't really raise that much money. And like, it wasn't going to be like the thing that like made it or like broke it but it was just like a chance for me to perform and kind of like see how things were gonna go and also it sounds like you were given like autonomy in that situation to feel like you were giving and part of it and helpful yeah Um, that's really cool and so that school is the walnut hill yeah is it school for the performing arts yeah walnut hill school for the arts i think okay yeah it's they've gone through some like facelifts over the years okay that's what so, I was like finding. they have a new logo okay. and like I think there might be some new verbiage around like what they what they're how they call for. themselves yeah Walnut Hill School for the Arts is a boarding school in Natick Massachusetts it was founded in 1893 as a feeder school for Wellesley College students can major in theater music dance visual arts or writing film and media arts The Boston Ballet School merged with the dance program at Walnut Hill in 2020. The 280-ish students are called Walnuts. 
So you go to this school, and this is pretty much all of high school. Is that correct? Yeah, it was my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Okay, and this is a co-ed school? Yeah, it was oh, co-ed, nice. but it was girl-heavy. Okay. And there were only like 250 kids in all four grades. Oh, so it was quite wow. small. So that's pretty small for someone who's like so extroverted. So how did you kind of deal with a school size like that? Like, was it clicky? Were there issues? I wouldn't say that it's like clicky to my memory of mm-hmm. it. I also transferred from the theater program into the opera program halfway through my first year. So I had been accepted as a theater student and then kind of realized that I wasn't really like identifying with the classes or I just felt like I was a little bit misplaced. Yeah. And so I mentioned that to my vocal teacher and she said that if I was interested, she could teach me some like opera technique and I could audition for the opera program. Wow, that's awesome. I feel like I have a hard time imagining your voice in opera. Like, do you keep up with that practice? Not, not at all. I was no. going to say like, not to like, not to like belittle your voice. It's just, it's very much more like folk. Yeah, I was pretty intensely like singing opera for two and a half years but it was really just like to be in the program totally like my focus I feel like even since then like I was never writing musical theater songs I was never like trying to write opera music Mm -hmm. or anything like that like anything I wrote in my own time was always some version of kind of like the type of music you've heard me do Mm -hmm. so I think ultimately at the end opera just ended up being like a great practice as far as what's it called like, like your technique, technique. yeah mm-hmm. it ended up being like very good for my technique yeah because um, you seem to have a very healthy voice yeah that's like one thing that I think I like kind of had a jump on like coming to college as I just like had a lot of like technique that I'd already learned in high school. Totally. I mean, I feel like I've talked about this with some guests previously, but like opera is sort of the ballet of like music, like having that bass on your voice and being able to like take care of that. That's so interesting because my next question was opera question mark. Oh yeah. There are some key differences between musical theater singing technique and opera. The main goal of musical theater is to enunciate while belting so that the words can be understood as they carry a story. Opera is more about demonstrating how the voice can be used as a musical instrument with techniques like vibrato. Musical theater uses physical movement to convey emotions, whereas opera singers use their voices. The training for musical theater focuses on all aspects of stage performance with some vocal training, while opera training is overwhelmingly focused on the voice. Opera singers also have to learn to sing in multiple languages. Lack of intense vocal training for musical theater performers can lead to vocal fry and damage to the vocal cords that can cut careers short. So you have this bass in opera, and that sort of followed you all throughout high school? Um, Yeah, I sang opera, like, all throughout high school, and then we had senior recitals. I told my, like, voice teacher, I was like, so I want to, like, sing kind of, like, more music that I'm into Mm -hmm. at my senior recital. And she's like, well, you have to do a few opera songs. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Aria's bitch. (laughs) Yeah, so I did, like, five opera songs, I think, or, like, three or five I can't remember and they're all like not in English and right there's like a video of it somewhere out there and then <laughs> like somewhere so, in my parents but, basement yeah, my mom's <laughs> my mom's Vimeo um, <laughs> I also at the end of the recital I think did a few songs I did a couple of jazz songs and then 
to more like folk songs with a uh, accompanied by a guitarist instead of a pianist. Was like learning guitar part of this education as well? Or like when did that come into play for you? I'd say I'm still pretty like novice guitar player, but like I taught myself initially just like by myself looking at tabs, like ultimate guitar like <laughs> tabs in my dorm room at school and then um yes after I graduated from college I took a couple formal lessons okay with a guitarist from the new school okay it's mostly just been me like picking it up and like relearning it and stuff and my boyfriend now plays guitar too so if I ever like need help with something he'll teach oh, he'll like help so me nice. with it I know I've talked with a couple of like guests before like specifically earlier on in the season one of our guests day she was like very much talking about bartering skills like mm-hmm. that like yeah. she was teaching someone I think a Photoshop program and they were teaching her like, I can't even remember what it was, but um, just sort of bartering those sort of skills rather than like paying for a class is yeah. so cool. Cause I feel like there's so many people, like if I wanted to learn something about any sort of editing, I would go to Artie and be like, please God, Artie would be like, well, here's how you copy paste you dumb old bitch. <laughs> I am computer illiterate. <laughs> um, so that's like 2014. You're moving to New York. You're here. You're at the new school. You're sort of like learning when does songwriting, I know that you said like, yes, you were writing these like cuter little songs when you were a kid, but like mm-hmm. when did songwriting and what is now your band Twin Village, like when did that become more what was primarily your focus? I'd say my junior year of college okay. when I started being able to take like more elective classes within the conservatory at new school, like when I could take songwriting or punk and noise and like different like histories of stuff you could take songwriting classes you could take songwriting workshops so instead of just taking like theory yeah exactly mm-hmm. so like the first two years since I'd never played jazz before were like in a formal setting like school I had never like taken jazz theory I'd never taken jazz history like all my credentials were in like opera okay and so I had to start like a lot of people would come in and get placed into like the second class or the third class and like I started from like jazz one just like literally <laughs> jazz one or like jazz point five if like not even the first level I placed into all the like very basic level classes which I was expecting and but that's kind of nice yeah again you like, sort of are getting that like base of your technique I did all like the entire curriculum like yeah. at the new school which was cool because I think a lot of people like placed in and then in their later years they were like I don't even know why I'm at school anymore because I have like three classes but like I have to like do all this xyz to graduate and mm-hmm. I was like I'm still like <laughs> I'm still here trucking through jazz four <laughs> like yeah. fully in school <laughs> yeah we had all these different classes like rhythm ear training theory improvisation and a lot of the classes for the vocalists were different from the classes for the instrumentalists which was like I can see why but also at the time was like a little bit bizarre too like and it was another thing of like well most of the vocalists are females and most of the um, musicians musicians Mm -hmm. or instrumentalists are males so it was there was a lot of like oh the girls are gonna go do this and the guys are going to do this. And so there was like a lot of that, which I think also is classic throughout like the history of jazz and a lot of other like genres of music. Yeah. I feel like I was there during like the last amount of time you would have wanted to be there. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, totally, like, I, totally. like I don't know what the school is like now. 
but like for friends of mine who stayed five years or were freshmen when I was a junior or whatever, mm-hmm. like the stuff I would hear about like in their later years, like they were starting to hire like really, really young professors, like people who'd gone to the school and been alumni for like a year and a half. And then they were like, oh, we're going to hire you back as a professor. Which I feel like in theory is so good, but in practice, it's honestly like... It could have been really cool, but I don't think it like went down... I don't think it went down the way it was supposed to. Yeah. But I really like enjoyed my time there. I don't think I could have like gone to a regular liberal arts school where I would have had to take like math and English and <laughs> stuff like that just for like credits. Like, As someone who also went to a school that didn't require those credits. Yeah, no, I haven't done math I since I was like that. 16. Yeah, no, I couldn't have it done that. It shows sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but so like for those aspects... I am really grateful to the new school. And I think I was there like at the perfect time for me. Yeah. Institutions during COVID have, in my opinion, for the most part, not done a great job of continuing to educate students, Mm -hmm. especially in the creative fields. I know like one of the guests from earlier on the season, like I straight up asked him, I was like, do you think your liberal arts school prepared you to be a working musician? And he was like, no, like a thousand percent not. Yes, you walked out with all these techniques and these like some of these great resources, but actually like day to day, like booking work, like yeah. for you coming out of that program, what were your goals like upon graduating? And I know that's weird looking back now because I feel like in the last couple of years, goals have shifted so much. But for you, like what were some of your goals when you came out of that program? So my goals, like my immediate goals after graduating were mostly just like to play a lot of shows. Yeah. I wasn't really playing out a lot in college Mm -hmm. and I didn't like form a band until my senior year and that I did an independent study my senior year of college that was for making an EP. And so I actually like recorded an EP prior to the one that I recorded at DeGraw that I just like didn't put anywhere. (laughs) But that was kind of like my senior project in college. And that's when I started playing out. And that's kind of like what I wanted to continue after I graduated. I just wanted to make sure that like I was playing somewhere at least like once a month. Right. So that was like 2018, right? Yeah, that was spring 2018 so we met in fall of 2019 and obviously then in like winter of 2019 you made the decision to walk the Appalachian Trail in 2020 Mm -hmm. which was like one of the reasons I wanted to talk like obviously I love your work and you actually are in kind of an interesting position because you played the last apartment party yeah I actually looked at a picture of that earlier today I was like (laughs) oh my god that's me it is you yeah and it's also it was the last one it was February 2020 and then like second or third week of March I made the decision to cancel the March one thinking that we'd be able to get back together in April of 2020. But you, (laughs) you played that show and also made the decision like over the winter to walk the Appalachian trail in 2020. So you have a very like unique 2020 perspective. Can you give me a little bit of like your insight into like being on the Appalachian trail while all this was kind of going down? Well, my first experience with COVID was like, I was supposed to go home for two months or not even two months, like uh-huh. a month and a half yeah. and train and be in Maine and like work a little bit for my stepfather and like maybe like make a little extra cash and to go on the trail. I was supposed to go on the trail March 25th oh. and then so like, like the week after 
Yeah. So I, shut down. I had to cancel my flight. There was just a lot of conflicting information going on because at that point there were actually already people out on the trail, like starting their through hikes. Okay. And the kind of like mood was like half of the people were like, you can't tell us what to do. We're going to stay. And the other half of the people were like, well, we like don't know what's right. So like, we're meanwhile, gonna... I'm washing my groceries at this point. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I'm not even leaving the house. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. and so and you're I like just... in rural Maine at this point. Yeah, I right? was in, yeah. I was in like, I mean, not rural, rural, but, but like, like you had a yard. Yeah. Like <laughs> on a dirt road yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In, on the coast of Maine. And I was like, well, like this isn't a horrible place to be quarantined. But I also felt like a certain sense of like FOMO because like all my friends were like together quarantined with their roommates or like having socially distanced like park meetups with right. friends like especially as like the spring kind of started to bloom in new mm-hmm. york and i was like okay i'm like really on my own up here like just with my mom and my stepdad and it was like not great like i was pretty depressed mental like, health at an all-time low yes, yeah mental health at an all-time low and because i also on top of all of that there was this like huge thing that i wanted to do which is hike the at and i was like that is maybe not even happening ever this year the atc which is also like the corporation or not corporation but like the conservation conserve i think it might be the conservation yeah Mm -hmm. they don't like own the appalachian trail by any means but like they do issue like warnings and regulations regulations Mm -hmm. and stuff like that the appalachian trail is 100 percent on public land oh wow um, so you can't technically shut it down right or actually it's not on public land it goes through some parks but like none of the land is owned all by like one one like not all by the at not by the atc yeah and so like the atc issued a like kind of a warning or statement saying no one's gonna go on their through hike this year because like you can't properly socially distance on the at and everyone was like that makes zero sense yeah everyone was like wait a minute this was back when like you could get covid from like brushing up against some you know what i mean right right so you could get covid from like sitting on the same toilet seat that somebody (laughs) you know what i mean it was like when there was just like no answers not like nothing and so what happened was so the smoky mountain national park opened back up and that's when i was like oh okay like that's the only part of the at that you need a permit to walk through oh okay and where it's like a federal crime to be there if it's closed oh wow so i was like <laughs> so i was like okay. kind of like something you don't want to do <laughs> yeah i was like okay so like the smoky mountains are back open and that was mid-may okay and this is when like covid flights people were flying to like Mexico for $5. And so I got like a wild $25 flight to Georgia. <laughs> yeah. And just Was like, there anybody on your flight? There actually like were people, like wild. quite a few people on the flight, which was like so anxiety inducing because yeah. I was like, wow, I've like just not been in public for like two and a half months. Mm-hmm. And um, then like the first thing you do is like a flight. Go You're, to like, an in airport. Air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I woke up at 4 a.m., drove to Boston with both of my parents. They brought me inside the airport. My mom's like crying. <laughs> and I like checked my backpack, like my hiking pack. And I got on the plane It was straight to Georgia from Boston, and then I got out of the Atlanta airport, and this woman who I had spoke to her husband on the phone picked me up. Wild. And she, like, wasn't even wearing a mask. Oh, wild. And she's like, you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to. Um, Like, I don't like the mask. And I was like, vibes. Oh, uh, no. (laughs) 
cool, 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 like, cool. Scary. I was like, okay, we're gonna be in the car together for four hours. So um, you like hope you've been safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she, she was a lovely woman though. Yeah. It's just different mentality, you know. It was the totally. south. So she drove me to Springer Mountain. Mm-hmm. I left my phone charger in her car. And that's the first thing you want to do when you're going on yep, the Appalachian Trail. I left my phone, my <laughs> one single phone charger <laughs> in her car. So you can approach the start of the AT two ways. You can go backwards from the Springer Mountain parking lot. You can hike backwards one mile to get to the terminus of the trail, or you can hike up from Amicalola Falls. Okay. And because of COVID and Amicalola was like, had just reopened and was like very crowded. Or actually, they may have never even closed, but I believe that they had just reopened mm-hmm. and was super crowded with tourists. Oh, so I was gotcha. like, I don't want to deal with yeah, that. Like, I'm good. And so I was like, I'm just going to go to the Springer Mountain parking lot and then like hike backwards one mile. Cool. So I hiked to the terminus and it was like pretty easy going. Mm-hmm. And then there was like one shelter on that area of the trail I guess and that I hiked back to and I had phone service from there and it was like only 5 p.m. I had like three and a half more hours of sunlight yeah and I'd only gone like a mile and a half so I was like day one baby yeah I was like I called my dad and I was like I have three more hours of sunlight like should I try and make it to the next shelter and he was like yeah sure like do it um, so I like hang up the phone. I also call immediately called both of my parents yeah, and was yeah. like, I don't have a phone charger. No, oh. just so you know, just so you know, it's just going to get sketchy. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. But there's this big, um, saying on the AT called the trail provides. The trail provides is a common adage of through hikers. Those who hike an entire trail end to end. In the U.S., it refers to those doing the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. It's hard to say where the origins of the trail provides is from. The internet is littered with stories of lone hikers twisting an ankle and being helped by passing wilderness EMTs, finding ointment in a trail box after walking into Poison Oak, etc. A memoir called The Trail Provides by David Smart tells the story of two inexperienced frat bros embarking on the PCT and the lessons learned along the way. The PCT website says the trail provides because of trail magic, aka good deeds, and trail angels, people who do those good deeds. Whether this means offering rides, free food, hosting hikers, or offering medical care. These things create a sense of community around through hiking. And so I get to the first shelter or like my second shelter. I hiked maybe like two more hours that day. So I ended up going like four miles, which is like not horrible. Day one. First day Day one. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm in this shelter, this huge shelter. It's like still light outside. I make myself dinner and I'm like waiting for other hikers to show up. Right. And like no one came. (laughs) You were like night one alone, I baby. Was just by myself. No, see, like, this is when yeah. I would. This is when I would be like, and the I, horror movie no, is starting. It was like that. Every noise was like a bear coming, oh, or like somebody, you know, coming to mess with me. And it rained, like pouring rain. Fuck. And I like cried myself to sleep. Oh, like full sobbing tears. Like cried myself. To I sleep. feel like that's like classic first night, though. I feel like that, like. 
I feel like you can only go up from there. Like, no, exactly. Lost your phone charger, was in a car with this weird lady, had to hike back. So, like, overall, I know. So, you were there until almost, like, you hiked the whole trail. You finished, like, mid-December? I finished at the very end of November. Like, oh, November okay. 20th. Okay, yeah. cool. So, you're, like, you basically spent all of summer and fall on the trail. Yeah, yeah. How was it? Like, I know, like, a couple of people, a couple of mutual friends of ours, like, dropped in. Like, Yeah, no, it was great. I kept, like, coming in and out of different groups on the trail. So, like, I was with this one group at the very beginning who I, like, met the first member of my second day. Oh, okay. And, like, we just kept adding people onto our group. I met this, like, really lovely older woman Aww. who was, like, from South Africa, but she lived in the Caribbean, and she was, like yeah, I just, like, live on my sailboat, and, like, I'm badass. here. Yeah, she was just, like, badass, and she oh. was, like, in her 50s, and I was, like, I'm obsessed with you. Like, let's <laughs> hike together, and she was so sweet, but then, like, our Smoky Mountain permits ended up not being the same dates, mm-hmm. so I, like, went through the Smokies with, like, this kid from Texas. He was actually from Dallas. Brah, brah, represent. Yeah. And he went to what's that college in North Carolina that's like I guess it's not super important what the school (laughs) was but it was like he was like the frat president at his oh my god it was like I was like like, on the trail with like actual characters characters yeah and I was like oh my god like people I would never have met he was like yeah I'm like the frat president at the like it was like the that Robert E. Lee founded. Oh, Jesus Exactly, Christ. exactly. I was <laughs> really? like, oh, like, dear Lord. Like, let's not get too deep in conversation. Like, right, right, right. He was, Will you protect me from a bear? Cool, no, let's ex- keep going. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it was very, like, there was absolutely, like, no romantic anything between the two of us we were simply together because we didn't want to be alone yeah totally but like he was very like chivalrous in the sense Mm. that like if we showed up to camp and I was the only woman there and people were being like are you here with anyone? He'd be like, yeah, we're here together. Like, uh, we'll, like, that's kind of nice to have a buffer. Yeah. He, I think, could tell that like there were situations in which I might be uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. like, I was like very grateful. Well, he's a frat president. Of <laughs> course he knows when women are uncomfortable. Yeah. So I was like, I was so like sorry. grateful to him for that. Yeah. But it was also this type of thing where me being like, there's so many things that we don't agree, agree on. on or align on. But I yeah. mean, I feel like, I mean, my mom's an avid backpacker and like, I know that, you know, sometimes you end up on the trail with somebody you're like, we would have literally never met in real life. Yeah. But that's, I feel like it's a nice kind of equalizer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up traveling with more people who I would have like really been friends with like that's cool. in my real life. And so like, it's still nice to like keep up with those people. Mm-hmm. And like, I met a couple from Brooklyn and hiked with hey. them for a few weeks. Cool. And it was very sweet. I know I was kind of saying this earlier. So kind of like, what was your perception of like, what was happening with COVID during that time? Like, were you guys still getting yeah. updates from ATC? like the yeah. AT has randomly like the best service of any long trail in the United States nice so like you can make phone calls you can look at Instagram if you want to mm-hmm. like depending on like where you are like probably yeah. from the top of a mountain is yeah. like when you're most likely to have service <laughs> but yeah we could see like most of what was going on and this was also after there was like such crazy like the protests you know, and well no so the protests started maybe like less than a month in f- yeah from of my hike like maybe two to three weeks in mm-hmm. it was interesting for me to like see all of that stuff and then also to be like 
so white passing and have people talk to me and have no idea that like I was like you're not white well I mean like I mean I am white but like have no idea that I would have reason to have like a different opinion than them interesting so it was interesting to like hear because I feel like in New York like New York is such a great place but like it is an echo chamber of like liberalism and oh yeah you know equality and you feel kind of like maybe I was a little bit naive Mm. because then when I was like with this whole group of people you would just like hear people say things that like you would never hear somebody say here like at least in the groups that like I was in yeah and so it was definitely interesting to kind of like be thrust out of that echo chamber into kind of more of a like oh, like, I'm going to have to, like, really explain myself to you Mm -hmm. for you to, like, understand where I'm coming from. Otherwise, you're just going to think I'm, like, some dumb, like, what's a social justice warrior, like, situation, you know what I mean? or whatever. Exactly. Like, it was, so, no, yeah, awful. (laughs) But, like, that was kind of, like, the energy. Well, and I feel like that can sometimes just be so exhausting. I mean, I don't know. definitely had to pick my battles. Yeah, yeah, exactly Mm -hmm. what I was going to say. Like, because sometimes it's just nice to sit back and be like, Woo, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. There were a lot of situations like that. And even talking to my dad, too, I would like call him and he'd be like, I know you want to like stick up for people and like. But you're having to worry about your literal yeah, physical he safety. He was like, as well. don't put yourself in like dangerous way like Mm. don't start a fight with somebody who you can't like he was like you just met these people like don't put yourself in a weird situation it's true because I feel like I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast or just in general recently but like there's so many times when you expect someone or a group or an individual to be coming to the table with like what I would consider a full deck Mm-hmm. Some people are really not. No, exactly. Some people are just angry. Yeah, or exactly. Or just feel misunderstood or really um, coming to the situation with like a lot of anger. So in terms of like the entirety of your trip, like what are some of your takeaways? What are some of your feelings of accomplishment? Like how do you, how do you kind of look at that time as a whole? Well, I think like first and foremost, like just being able to finish it. Yes. Like was such a huge accomplishment for me. I think not because they like didn't believe in me or like didn't want good things for me but I think there were a lot of people like at the beginning like not even just like friends but like in my family who were like oh like see you in a month you think you're gonna hike 2,200 miles like (laughs) we'll see about that and I think it was I had to have a lot of self-control like I couldn't call my mom and be like I'm having an awful time blah 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 because like she'd be like then come home so like it was one of those things where like I had to rely on myself a lot which I think like gave me a lot of confidence in the sense that I was like no like I can make good decisions for myself well and you seem like really obviously like we haven't hung out that much since before the pandemic or anything but you seem really grounded and you seem like in a really good place and I know that like Life has been fucking weird for two years, but you seem really good. Yeah, I think I've been really lucky in a lot of ways, especially with my the year 2020. Like so many people's plans were so severely derailed. And like my one goal for the entire year of 2020 was to hike the AT. And like I still got to do that. That's awesome. And so I didn't do it like there's three different ways you can through hike and you can go northbound 
or you can go southbound or you can do a flip-flop. Mm. And so because of the seasons and having to start two months later than I was planning on, I had to do a flip-flop hike, which is like not the way I was planning on doing it. Right. I had to compromise. But you still you I still got to it. do it. Yeah, I still yeah. got to hike every single mile. And like you said, just finishing it. Like yeah. I feel like there's so many things like that. I mean, I definitely remember looking at your trip and being like, fuck, I'm so jealous. I've been in my apartment for however long. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were parts of it that were really hard. Like I couldn't walk barefoot for like a month after I finished. Wow. Because like my feet were so gnarly. It wasn't gnarly with like blisters or anything like that. It was just like the tendons in my feet were so just affected by what I'd been doing that like I had to wear shoes even to just walk across the hall, like to the bathroom. Otherwise it was like extremely painful Wild. so like I definitely like put my body through some shit but yeah. I was like you know a, you're only young once though. yeah like completely able to recover which mm-hmm. was like also another thing that I'm really grateful for because sometimes people have like permanent knee damage or like I, that would be there's me. like a million I'd be like I'm, I'm fucking finishing yeah. it and my body would just like slowly yeah. disintegrate beneath me <laughs> That I think one of my biggest takeaways from it was just like trusting myself to make the right decisions for myself and like Mm -hmm. seeking counsel from myself instead of like always reaching outward for advice. Which I feel like is such a good practice in creativity as well. Mm -hmm. Because like no one really but yourself is going to lift you up. Yeah. When it comes down to it. I mean, obviously people have your back, but like. People have good intentions and have your back, but like you have to be your own biggest supporter. Otherwise, like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like no one else was going to like go. Like my mom wasn't going to come and like force me to hike. (laughs) I had to do it for myself. (laughs) Yeah. So you're. Now you're back. You're back. So you'd finish that at the end of 2020. Spent 2021 in Maine with family, which is so lovely. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. So many people have obviously been separated from family, but so many people have also spent more time with family, which is so lovely. So your pre-COVID goals and pre-Appalachian Trail goals were to play shows. What are kind of goals now and like how would you say your creativity has been impacted by your experiences in the last couple of years yeah well I had a chance to kind of like get creative on the AT and I would record like different voice notes of like snippets of songs and stuff I was gonna ask if you were like singing on the trail yeah I was singing all the time and I would like freak people out because I would like have my headphones in and be like jamming like singing very loud to a song and then like come around the corner and they'd be like a group of boy scouts like what the fuck (laughs) you're like I'm a ghost but it was also like for me I was like no big animals are gonna come near me if I'm like constantly singing constantly singing so that was great I only like had a couple of run-ins with big animals good (laughs) yeah nothing nothing that was like too close for comfort which was like really lucky because I was alone a lot of the time right yeah I think right when I got off the trail I wrote a bunch of new music right away and I got this like really cute little mini it's not mini but it's like smaller than your average acoustic guitar with nylon strings so it's super easy to play (laughs) it's like I feel like I'm cheating a little bit yeah like my little hands are like ooh, thank you so um it was really nice I played that I'm still playing it but like I wrote a lot of songs on that guitar over this past winter and then I played there's a really cool collective up in Maine called Staycation 
Christian Collective that okay. formed during COVID. Nice. And they have had a couple of different shows or like, I wouldn't call it a festival, but it's like a weekend where like everything was set up for two days and there was a lot of art and there was music. Oh, and that's so fun. Yeah, it was really cool. And so I played two of their events and oh. then I also um, played a few shows. Staycation Collective is a group of artists creating creative opportunities in Maine. They offer venues, studio space, mentorship, and a wide network to connect with. They've held events like Slapdash Symposium Skills and Stories from Maine Creatives. You are here reflecting on where you are, where you're going, and where you have been, and general events for artists and musicians to show their work like everything must go and looking for something to do. I ended up at the beginning of this year releasing some music that I just like had from my recording sessions at DeGraw and I just never put them out because like for whatever reason I wasn't happy with them at the time. It's so funny because I love the new recordings. I love both. I don't know if you like came into your body more maybe on the trail but like your voice sounds so good right now and I mean obviously like DeGraw is amazing as well but oh so fun re-listening to it again. Thank you yeah (laughs) I was I was really happy to put those out because they are from a really long time ago. Yeah you wrote them what like 2018? Yeah exactly and like a lot of those songs are I'm so disconnected from like the things that those songs are about now Mm -hmm. that like I just like didn't feel so critical of them anymore right and so kind of able to be a little easier with them yeah Mm -hmm. and then after I put those out I think it was maybe like a week later someone from the Rockland CMCA reached out to me and that's up in Maine on the coast and they asked me to be a part of their like first Friday art walks this fall so I'll get to do that which I'm really looking forward to I felt like it was like one of the fruitful things that happened from releasing that music well and also just like kind of reconnecting with that community up there as well Mm -hmm. because like you had been so invested since like 2014 in like your New York career and I think we can like creatively get in a little bit of a bubble here obviously like obviously politically but like definitely creatively as well I'm so happy to have you back obviously in New York and in this creative community Belle is actually going to be playing for a show that I believe by this time we will have released some info about but it'll be in August 12th and that is actually apartment party is joining with Empire State Music Festival, which is run by Carrie Blue, who is one of our first guests on this podcast. So Bella will be there performing. Actually, Art will be there performing as well, our lovely technical director. So now, so you're back in New York. These are your goals. I love the music that you're releasing. I love that you're back. I love that you have your feet on the floor. I want to thank you so much for being here today, number one. And I have a thesis question that I've been asking for all of our guests kind of as a way to like gather sort of a brain trust for the first season I asked what does joy look like in a community setting going forward and kind of the overwhelming response from the artists that I asked this and just the community at large was about the need for support and whether that's time finances rehearsal spaces you know whatever that is so I'm kind of asking this season what methods of community support inspire you what do you want our audience to know about that you see in this community well I think I actually I played a festival over the summer in 
Bed-Stuy called Mixed Mag Fest. Oh, yes. yes. Okay, I've seen their Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. And you know Kimber, right? Yes. So yes. Kimber's one of like the founders of Mixed Mag. Awesome. And Joanna, who worked at Glossier mm-hmm. with us, and a few other people as well who I don't know. So I played that festival with them, and I feel like just people like putting in an effort to like have space for artists to perform a hundred percent like that's the biggest way to support like especially artists who are performing or like even like how you sometimes would have like for apartment party you'd have like a visual artist like Mm -hmm. put their art up on the wall kind of having a mixed media yeah I feel like just like creating a venue and like a draw for people to be somewhere so that like you know you're not always like performing to a crowd of like 10 people or like like, a lot of drunk people yeah 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 yeah. so like a lot of be a little more intentional yeah like people who are there like really to like see music or like see art I feel like that at least in my experience it feels like one of the best ways to support artists like I had a few gigs in Maine right before I came here at a restaurant and I knew the girl whose father owned the restaurant and she was like yeah we have music here like live music here four days out of the week wow and she was like yeah my dad would rather have live musicians and like pay live musicians than just have like a playlist playing because like it brings so much more life to the restaurant well and also just like that's what I've been saying for this whole season is like there's money out there and there's people with money and I want that money to be in all my friends hands (laughs) and kind of like you're saying like okay yeah I can pay an artist to sit there however many like an hour and do a quick set and they walk away with money in their hand rather Mm -hmm. than just listening to the radio right that's the other thing that's like I think you mentioned this in the episode with Ernest the Mm -hmm. like pay to play thing and I've been approached many times by people like that being like come play this like buzzword venue come play this but like you have to sell this many tickets and have this many tickets like committed before you perform otherwise you're gonna owe us money I remember and I was like like what I remember you were even I think it was like back in 2019 maybe the end of 2019 you were like stressing about a show at one point and I don't like I ended up just emailing them and being like um, I don't think this is right for me. Like yeah. I'm feeling stressed out about this. I don't think I'm going to be able to like get together. Cause at that point I was also mostly playing solo. Yeah. So it was like, I was going to have to teach a whole new band of people my music and mm-hmm. I was going to have to rent a rehearsal space, have rehearsals. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And so it just wasn't like at the end of the day, I was like, it's not even like worth it for the exposure. Like I just like don't want to do this. I'm stressed out. Yeah. And then there was like, they sent me the tickets in the mail. There was like, I don't know how many tickets, like 30 something tickets. And I was like, yeah, like I don't think, um, I can't remember the name of the organization, but it's like one of those classic ones. They like reach out to you. They call you on the phone and like try to like convince you. (laughs) And I'm like, how did you even get my contact information? Yeah, You're like, like, please no. Yeah. (laughs) But they do like have shows at these venues that are like quite cool venues. Mm -hmm. And so like venues that I would want to play at. And so it's like, that's what makes it so attractive. And I've been talking to this about musicians or with musicians in New York. It's interesting because I don't feel like New York is necessarily a music town. A hundred percent. Like, yes, we do get all the big acts because it's New York and Mm -hmm. people come through, but it's not like necessarily a musician's up and coming town. So it's interesting to like see how everyone sort of, I think I'm with you. I think pay to play is 
just kind of ugly. Yeah. For, I mean, comedy has some of those same respects, like, you know, yeah, filling yeah. a seat, whatever. I definitely agree that, I mean, hopefully like more spaces are created and well I even feel like now like there's so many I feel like in the past two years I feel like there's even more music venues yeah in New York and I'm like oh that's awesome yeah music venues like I'm like I just want to go and like see the venue like I don't even care who's playing like I just want to go to a show and like see it because it looks cool in the pictures that I've been (laughs) seeing you know I'm with you I'm with you I'm definitely feel like there's there's definitely some good places I'm excited to see like what is more happening in Brooklyn Cause I feel like that's like where I'm really seeing some of these like intentional lineups rather than like a pay to play. There's like 45 people on a bill every night yeah, kind of situation. Or sometimes like, I feel like before I would have different people who were like building lineups, reach out to me and I'd be playing on the same bill as like a hardcore band. Right. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, <laughs> like actually like, why? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell the people where they can find you, where they can find your music and all that lovely stuff. So my music Instagram is at Twin Village. And I also post a lot of stuff about shows and like clips of music on my personal Instagram, which is Baby Belta. Mm-hmm. And then it's like B-E-L-L-T-A. And we'll have everything linked in <laughs> yeah. bio as well. And then uh, for my music, you can find me at on Bandcamp under awesome. Twin Village. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It was so lovely to talk. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And welcome back. AP Studio Files can be found on all streaming platforms. Follow us on Instagram at APStudioBK. Stay tuned to our Instagram about upcoming parties this spring. AP Studio Files is hosted by Miller Pike with technical production by Artie Kapischke, photography by Tucker W. Mitchell, and research by H. Connolly with music by Fab the Duo.